Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. For a lot of parents, getting your little one to eat variety isn't always the easiest of tasks. But with Yo Valley's new Little Yo yogurt pouches, you no longer have to worry. Made from British organic whole milk and organic fruit purees, you can relax knowing that you will be supported in reaching their important milestones. With live cultures, the Little Yo pouches are perfect for supporting and nurturing healthy, happy tummies, ideal for weaning and allows your babies to explore new flavors from as young as six months. Available in those two delicious flavors, which come in recyclable pouches, these Little Yo yogurts are perfect for snacking and on the go. To find out more, head to yovalley.co.uk and find it in your local supermarkets. Hello and thank you so much for tuning in to this week's Food for Thought, a podcast that's on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice that you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. The global pandemic has meant we're all much more aware of our health, and with us all washing your hands with vigour, applying hand sanitizer all day long, scouring the supermarket for ways to boost our immune system, it's time that we fully understood what actually works and what really doesn't. This week's Food for Thought sees immunologist Dr. Jenna Macciocchi and I break down exactly why it's so important to respect and learn about our immune system so we can then avoid doing more harm than good. Hello, Jenna. Hi, Rhiannon. <laughs> hello, hello. Thank you so much for giving up your time today. I think the, um, the topic we're about to discuss could not be more apt for this year, this current time. What is, Jenna, the single biggest thing that we can all do, and I'm going to be careful with the language I pick here, and I'm going to say to help support um, our immune system? Yes, it's the question I'm asked a lot this year, and particularly this winter season that we're entering into. It's a great question, and I'm going to apologise for not being able to give a straightforward (laughs) answer. (laughs) because with many things to do with um, what is perhaps the most complex system in the body, my answer is always, it depends. Uh, I like to think about it as there being lots of different inputs into what shapes how well our immune system functions. And some of these inputs we can control and some we can't. So I would really encourage people to focus on what you can control. And I'll talk 
a lot about that today, I'm sure, um, and and figure out what your weak spots are in terms of your diet, your lifestyle, um, and how you can care for your immune system. Perfect. Thank you. And as always, this is why we love having you on an expert that knows what they're talking about. There's no false promises. It's going to be a realistic evidence-based advice that we can um, draw upon. So let's start off with, um, let's go into telling a little bit about, I guess, what the immune system is for everybody listening. And um, it's something that's happening all the time, isn't it? So let's go in and start Mm -hmm. with the basics. Yeah, yeah. So we we talk about it as if it's one thing, kind of like a binary switch that we turn on and off. But actually, it's it's this whole myriad of different things that is found in every single uh, nook and cranny of our body. So there's a a myriad of different specialized cell types. These are your white blood cells. And then there's communicating molecules like antibodies and and cytokines and various proteins that are produced that are antimicrobial. It has an array of different functional responses and it has all these different components so that we can deal with the array of different threats out there to our health. So this is uh, anything from infections or things that are trying to get in our body and then cause us harm. So it's kind of like a series of switches that we, you know, little rheostats that we're adjusting all the time, uh, organized in many layers. So it's not just in the blood, but it also includes things like the barriers to our body. So um, things like skin and our, and our airways. And it includes specialized organs like our bone marrow, our lymph nodes uh, and our thymus. And there's even a role for different tissues to have um, specialized functions in the overall working of the immune system. So this is things like fat and muscle. So it's collectively working all together and all these different components collaborate um, a bit like an orchestra. So they're sensing our environment, preparing to respond. I love that, like an orchestra. It's, <laughs> it's so interesting. It really brings me back to immunology, which we only did one module on in nu- the nutrition degree, let mm-hmm. alone the depth that you must go into in your line of work. And it's just the fact that it it's in so many parts of the body. It's not just people just assume white blood cells, the immune system. Mm-hmm. They don't think about the rest. And there's a lot of confusion in particular, I think, with with dietary aspects. And we've been hearing so much pseudoscience recently, I think, because... There isn't an immunity diet, but of course there are vitamins and minerals, aren't there, that perhaps can play a role? Yes, exactly. I mean, as you um, mentioned earlier, the immune system is always active, carrying out a whole variety of different roles from general surveillance to infection protection to cancer surveillance, growth, healing, repair. And whenever it's doing something specific, it's going to have a heightened activity. And this is going to be accompanied by an increased rate of metabolism and an increased requirement for energy sources, um, the substrates for all these different processes that are going on. And all of this is ultimately derived from our diet. So everything that we need for our immune system is going to become becoming from our diet. Uh, And therefore, we need to have um, a healthy balanced diet to support the immune system to function optimally. But that being said, there's no specific way to make your immune system work better than it Mm -hmm. it could by boosting it with so-called, you know, superfoods or specific vitamins and mega doses. Um, Suffice to say, if you're deficient in anything, that would be immunity impairing for your body. 
Yeah, that's why I, um, on our podcast, um, we did an episode with Dr. Joshua Warwich on um, COVID um, in the very early stages when it was just happening. And lots of people were using the phrase, boost your immune system, take vitamin C, because that got a lot of airtime. Do you want to delve into why that could be a little bit um, inaccurate and not what we want? Yes, I think that, you know, I, I sort of started to call, call it immunity washing. <laughs> so it's become the new greenwashing. So greenwashing was, you know, the term that was used when companies mislead with the information that their products are sustainable. Whereas immunity washing, it's where we're sort of drawing in consumers by conveying the false impression that a certain product can make you invincible to germs and this is what you need to protect yourself from from uh, the current coronavirus and there's been a huge expansion in consumer goods marketed to boost immunity that are i feel you know are somewhat feeding off the fear of coronavirus um, this is a time where you know marketing's been able to shine really well all of us have um you know experienced the, the negative impact of the pandemic um, and, you know, things like sales of vitamin C have more than doubled since March. So mm. people are obviously really worried uh, and want to find a way to make themselves invincible. And <laughs> there is a lot that we can do, but, you know, we live in this germy world and the germs were here before us. So we've evolved with them and it's quite normal to pick up a few infections every year. Um, that doesn't mean that you necessarily have a poor immune system. Yeah, and um, the interesting thing for our listeners about vitamin C is that you can actually easily get your daily requirement, which I think is around 40 milligrams a day, um, off the top of my head. I really hope I got that right. I should do as a nutritionist. Um, but it's very easy to get it through diet if you eat well. You don't often need to be supplementing with these extra nutrients. It is for everyone listening. A lot of the time, your urine will be bright, luminous yellow, and you're excreting <laughs> a lot of these extra tablets. So if you just bulletproof your diet, you know, try and get as much veg and fruit in as possible, you, you should generally speaking be okay. But do you mm -hmm. also touch on, um, so we've touched on obviously vitamin C, because I think we should go into the nutrition a little bit more. Yes. Um, do you do a lot of research or have you touched on things like selenium and um, maybe beta carotene, folate, things that often you don't hear mentioned as much? Yes, exactly. Uh, I think when it comes to the micronutrients, these are the vitamins and minerals that are considered essential to our diet because we cannot make them by ourselves. We have to consume them. Um, it suffice to say that if you are deficient in any one of the key micronutrients, then this could potentially impair your immune system. But a number of these have been specifically linked to supporting the immune system and reducing risk of infections. And the sort of key ones are um, vitamin A and the B vitamins, uh, vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin E, then things like zinc, copper and selenium. So um, these might be things that people are maybe not so aware of because I think vitamin C is the one that kind of really always pops up. Um, these uh, micronutrients, things like selenium and zinc, they're supporting all of the biochemical processes that happen when immune cells get activated. So they have to replicate themselves and they form a big army of immune cells. So there's lots of DNA replication. There's lots of specific chemical reactions happening when they produce certain molecules to fight off the infection. And things like selenium and zinc um, act as cofactors for all these reactions, so supporting um, 
uh, the, your body to, to do all these uh, processes. There's been a number of reviews on the role of selenium in immunity and infection specifically. So it's considered to be very key. And if you are deficient in selenium, then it could mean that you have an impaired um, function of your immune system. But again, taking more than you need if you're not deficient wouldn't necessarily make your immune system work better than yeah. it already does. Um, I think the problem we have with some of these micronutrients is that there may be people within the population who have a, a suboptimal level. So they don't have a, an overt clinical deficiency, but they just at the lower end. Um, and those people are harder to catch because there's obviously sometimes not easy ways to detect that. And I think, you know, when we look at something like coronavirus, where you see quite a big diversity in how people are responding to mm. the infection. So you have healthy people getting very sick and healthy people with hardly any symptoms. You know, it could be that this is reflecting subclinical deficiencies in some of these key micronutrients that, that help us protect ourselves from infection. Oh, it's so far. It's, it's just so unknown. I think that's that's the key there. Mm -hmm. that obviously, there's a lot that we need to do. But of course, as you've said, if we're at least supporting and getting the right amount of food mm -hmm. in daily, and then we're going to be doing a bit to help ourselves, surely. There's also a lot of popularity now with gut health. And I guess this does come for a good reason, because that is the foundation, I suppose, of our digestive system, how we digest food, the um, vitamins that are created there, how the nutrition sends signals, all these, diff all these different elements. But can it really support immunity? That's the question. Yes, uh, I would say definitely. There's a, still a lot of unknowns, but the gut is a huge site of immune regulation. It's also a site of educating and developing your immune system. And much of this happens in early life, particularly in the first two to three years um, after a child is born. And it is true that around 70% of our immune system is located in our gut. Um, so when we are born and we start to be colonized with this huge array of microbes, they're doing several things in the gut. The fact that they colonize our, our digestive tract can actually prevent bad germs from getting in so they outcompete those bad germs. One of the key things they're doing is they produce a variety of different metabolic byproducts when they're eating the food that we eat. So essentially, when we're having a meal, we're also feeding the bugs in our gut and they're digesting that food um, and producing these, as some people like to call them postbiotics. So basically the, the waste products of the, the food being digested by the gut bugs. And these play a huge role in uh, influencing how well our immune cells work uh, and also an, a role in the barrier of our gut. So they help keep the barrier very tight. Um, they not only play a role in the, the gut immune system, but they're absorbed into our bloodstream and they're um, carried throughout the body and then they can influence the function of immune cells all over the body. Oh, and I these, love all this gut talk. It's great, it's isn't it? It's great. I know. I just think it's like what happens in the gut doesn't stay in the gut. It's, you know, it's really then it's sort of setting the, the rheostats for our immune response all over the body. and. Um, I'm sure maybe some people have heard of things like the gut uh, lung axis, the gut brain axis. So there's this, you know, communication via these um, uh, metabolites that the, the bugs are producing that are influencing the health of organs all over our body. Yeah, and talking all the bugs, time. 
Exactly. These bugs are also in direct contact with our immune cells in the gut. And this is a kind of education process that helps our immune cells differentiate what is a bad germ and what isn't. And then finally, they play a really key role in digesting um, our foods. So they kind of help us with that and they help us absorb nutrients and they produce some of the, the key um, nutrients in our diet as well. So they're really critical to the overall function of our immune system. Yeah, it's incredible. It's it's why I guess also the, um, I think it's a bit of a, a fad, but something that perhaps shouldn't be classified as a fad gut health in the nutrition world at the moment, because mm-hmm. as you've quite rightly said, the education process all happens around that area and we need to make sure we're eating enough. In the UK, we definitely don't get enough fiber to start with and we should be getting 30 grams a day. Um, little challenge for all our listeners, and I may have done this on a previous episode with Dr. Kevin Whelan, but I want you to try and count for one day if you're getting 30 grams of fiber, just as a test to see um, to see how you're getting on. But there's also a lot of buzz on fermented foods now, Jenna, and yeah. all these different types <laughs> of things. Um, yeah. And I guess as a parent now, I'm also really keen to get as much diversity. I'm just starting to wean at the time we record this podcast, my little boy, Zachary. And I want to get the variety in because you mentioned earlier, it starts as a child, doesn't it? Getting the immune education going. Yes, exactly. Uh, it, it's a really tricky one, but um, I think there's a, a bit of a quagmire with the information around the gut microbiota, which makes it very difficult to give very clear messages on what we can and can't do to to impact it. But we do know that there's actually quite a large degree of variability between different individuals, which reflects different um, environmental exposures. So how you're born, where you were born, what you've been fed, what you know, medications you might have had over your life course. Um, but your habitual diet is probably one of the biggest things to have an impact on your microbiota. And we often want to drill down to a specific bug doing a specific process in our body but actually it's more important to think of the overall output of your biome not just what each individual bug is doing so diversity is considered the best marker of gut health and to cultivate that diversity we need to feed it diverse fibers and so as you mentioned in the uk we just really don't get enough fiber in our diet i also think we need to kind of broaden our definition of fiber to not just you know think of high fiber cereals but also you know beans and pulses and legumes fruits and vegetables herbs and spices nuts and seeds um the fermented food thing i think that's a tricky one if you enjoy them then go for them (laughs) see it as a way to increase your diversity there's a lot less research on fermented foods than on say something like probiotic supplements particularly in humans but they can be a source of live bacteria um and uh, you know these cannot be termed probiotics in themselves but they do contain many similar strains to those that have been researched uh, and used as probiotics so things like lactobacillus and the bifidobacteria um so just to and- interject for people listening if you're not sure what those the names of the bacteria are have a look on a yogurt pot and often you'll mm. see those two particular strains in your greek yogurt or something in the fridge yes So these uh, products are also a source of these bacterial metabolites as well. So um, things like lactic acid from the bacteria just fermenting the food, which have been 
reported to be beneficial for our health. But I think the thing with fermented food is it's hard to know what dose you're getting and if this is enough to, you know, have some sort of significant change to your health. Um, but, you know, as I said, it's, it's important to, to diversify your diet and maybe play around with different fermented foods like cultured dairy and cheese and fermented vegetables or, or soy products uh, just to kind of add that diversity in. And also remember, again, coming back to marketing, some products are mm. marketed as fermented, but they don't actually contain live bugs because of the way they've been processed. So if they've been pasteurized or heated at high temperatures, now they still, still might be beneficial and be a source of nutrition, but um, it can be often a little bit misleading. Uh, oh, yeah. and you don't know how much you're getting from these products. Oh, don't get me started on the world of food marketing. Um, <laughs> do you, one interesting thing that popped in my head uh, is in America, a lot of my clients um, and on Instagram now, people have been informing me that they have an 100 before one challenge. So um, for anybody that has a baby out there listening, they if, if you have the time, I've got to be honest, I probably won't be doing this just because I'll just be aiming for as much as possible, but try and get 100 different foods in before the age of one. And that's, oh. that's quite a good little challenge. I don't know how you document that. Maybe there are some books you can buy and yeah, things I'm sure to there's, fill in. Yeah, some products <laughs> where you can have an easy way because like you say, it's a busy mum. Yeah. You know, sometimes from one week to the next, you don't remember what you were making for no. mealtimes. So, but exactly. I think it's a good, it's a good challenge, particularly... I find being a mum myself and obviously if my kids have friends over and they go to friend's house and looking at the menus that are given at school, there isn't mm. a lot of plant diversity and kids very quickly narrow their repertoire of what foods they will accept. Mm. So even now my kids are five and if it's something they've never seen before, they're a lot more reluctant to try it than when they were, a, you know, a toddler and it was kind of you know they were very accepting of whatever you give them as a parent mm. so yeah it's very tricky but we should start them young educating about fiber and diversity and and trying new foods hopefully uh, a new generation a kind of, of good eaters yeah that's the goal oh, isn't I it <laughs> i think if we move on from the micros then we've discussed all the different kind of um gut healthy types of things to look out for what about macronutrients um so I suppose, proteins, fats, carbs in general. We all need these, yeah. don't we? But there is a balance, isn't there? Yeah, exactly. I think this is probably one of the most overlooked areas in terms of nutrition and the immune system because, you know, we always default to thinking about, you know, vitamin C and zinc and the role of the micronutrients, but the macros, the proteins, carbs and fats, um, these actually play a really key role in our immune system as i mentioned in the beginning it's you know it's energetically quite costly to mount an immune response so we really need to fuel our, our immune response properly and make sure that we are supporting that with enough energy uh, for example when you get sick and you have a fever you're going to have to support that um, increase in te body temperature by increasing your metabolism. And a lot of the um, immune communication molecules, these inflammatory cytokines that are fighting the infection, they actually cause your metabolism to increase. They increase your energy requirements for the biosynthesis of all these cells and molecules that they need to go and fight the infection. Um, and they say that for roughly every one degree Celsius of fever increase, there is a 
a 13% increase in your basal energy expenditure. Mm. So you have to support that. Um, there's also specific metabolic switches that happen inside the various different immune cell populations when they go to action to fight an infection. And this means that they can quickly change their energy sources. Um, and for example, when you're uh, experiencing some sort of inflammation, the immune cells will will go through this kind of a metabolic switch to become able to suck up glucose to really be able to have that uh, immediate energy source there. And when they're in a sort of resting state, they're more um, switching to kind of fatty acid oxidation. So there's all these kind of metabolic switches that are happening. Mm. And it means that we, we need to support our immune system with all the macronutrients and um, carbohydrates, proteins, and fats and I think carbohydrates go back to fiber because yeah. I, I love your take on it with quality and quantity so mm. <laughs> fiber will be in those carbohydrate sources so see them as important for not only for energy but also for getting fiber um, protein is really important so um, proteins probably I mean, it practically affects all aspects of your immune system yeah. if you do not have enough protein. Uh, it can also impact the body barriers, so the, the delicate lining of our airways, our skin, our digestive tract, which is part of our immune defense against germs getting inside of us. And it can cause our immune organs to actually atrophy if we don't have enough. So our lymph nodes, um, spleen, thymus, and I think protein energy malnutrition is one of the leading causes of immunodeficiency worldwide. So it's something that we really need to take care that we're getting enough of. Oh, um, there's also and for our listeners, Jenna, just very quickly, could you explain atrophy for them just so they know? Oh, yes. um, yeah, just so they know what, what's yeah, going down there. Of, <laughs> you know, a sort of shrinking of an organ. So it's it's not got enough to support itself. So the org your organs will start to shrink um, as a way to kind of as a, like a sacrifice, I guess, of not having enough of a nutrient to support it. No, that's very 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 helpful i think in general you've really emphasized the fact that this is one thing that gets me about fatty diets or calorie counting as well as that people forget about staying generally healthy and your immune system and the impact that scrimping or cutting out whole food groups can have because mm -hmm. carbohydrates and are always demonized we know that fat has its day then it doesn't then it does protein again people hail it as this magical micro macronutrient rather but one of the biggest things we were told at university was that if you were injured or especially in my sports nutrition you need protein to mm -hmm. be able to repair but you've really gone into depth there about the different switches and how if you don't have these food groups to hand you're not going to help your body fight back and different seasons also play a role i suppose in terms of weather conditions i mean I know that in the winter, Jenna, like we're crossing seasons as we record this now. Mm -hmm. Oh, I do love my carbohydrates and I really want to load <laughs> up on, on the, I mean, do our, do our habits have an impact on our immune system with our food and, and the changes of weather? Yes, definitely. And, you know, a lot of things do change when seasons change. The primary one is perhaps our behavior. So, you know, in the last week or so, we've had some really heavy rain where I am and I'm, you know, less inclined to go outdoors. Um, so that means less vitamin D, but also, you know, less time potentially in nature, less time getting daylight, which we know is really important for our health. Um, 
we maybe are moving less because it's a bit colder and we might huddle together with other people indoors more frequently, perhaps maybe not at the moment while we're all still um, socially distancing responsibly. But, you know, it's it's you're more inclined to spread germs by that close contact with people um, and less, you know, being outdoors. Um, less vitamin D because we're not out in the sunshine and also in places like the UK the sunshine is not enough to help um, the vitamin D conversion in our skin. Don't we know and, it. <laughs> <laughs> and also you know our diet changes too I mean we start to um, embrace all those uh, root vegetables colourful bright orange um, foods and I think that's also might reflect what our bodies need to support our immune system with all the um, you know, nutrition that comes with that. And there's also been shown to be seasonal changes in the genes of our immune system. So some oh. are turned on and off as we enter different seasons. And this is a response from our brains, you know, sensing the changes in temperature and, um, and daylight. And it's considered to be some kind of evolutionary adaptation to reflect what our bodies might be challenged with with the different seasons and I've we even got see goosebumps. this in... that's amazing <laughs> I know it's, it's unbelievable isn't it we even see it with like you know countries where they have a wet and dry season uh and in countries like the UK where we are where they have you know a summer and winter so there's a lot going on and I think you know it's quite easy to not be in tune with with the seasons you know if we have indoor heating uh, you don't really need to um, expose yourself to the elements if you don't want to but it might be really important for our health to to really be aware of this once again we need to get in nature embrace it but also protect ourselves when it's cold and get a bit warm <laughs> <laughs> because I think preventing the spread of colds and viruses let's move on to that especially because people at the moment are trying to find a cure for COVID-19 um, it's what mm -hmm. we all want um, but what would you say are some of the best practices that we can do to minimise getting this awful, awful virus? Yes, I know. I mean, I think COVID's been uh, a stark reminder of, you know, some really old wives' tales like coughs and sneezes cause diseases. It, mm. it really is that these germs are just, they've, they've evolved ways to spread between us because we are this nice cozy host for them that they want to infect and they want to be able to pass on so the basic hygiene practices um, are something that we all need to engage in uh, so it's kind of these old-fashioned methods of limiting transmission staying away from each other washing our hands disposing of tissues properly um, you know and practicing good hygiene mm. and I also hope that one good thing to come out of you know the the best part of this year really is that we hopefully start to take ourselves seriously when we do have an upper respiratory tract infection like a cough or a cold because I don't know about you but many of us would normally just tr keep trudging into work if we had a seasonal cold and not taking that time to really recover not tuning into what our bodies are telling us to do when we feel tired and and withdrawn and and you know all those kind of horrible symptoms of having a cold we go into work we probably spread it to everyone on our way in and oh. we just feel like we had to be there you know to, mm. to show up to, to battle on and i i hope that now we really you know when colleagues are unwell we send them home and 
people feel comfortable that they can stay at home and miss work until they feel fully better um because it it does you know it's not not a nice thing and now we have on top of the usual seasonal colds and flus the challenge of of coronavirus as well i suppose it's a, it's a bigger picture though as well i mean I would love for everybody in an ideal world to just be able to sit back and stop. But if you're self-employed, if you don't oh, have a good sick pay, and this is when exactly. I'm hoping times have changed for the better and the government will support moving mm-hmm. forwards and enable us to do that. But with COVID, I mean, what about masks, Jenna? What, what do you think about the importance of wearing masks? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Yes. So, I, I mean, it, it's been um, an interesting time watching what's happened with masks. We've gone from <laughs> early in the pandemic where the recommendations yeah. were not to wear masks. Yeah. And then now we, we all have to wear them when we're going out and in certain spaces that were shared with other people. Um, and, and it's really tricky for uh, for people to sort of grasp these stark changes that has come through in the public health messaging. Um, I think in the beginning we just didn't know enough and there was some evidence from previous um, pandemics and outbreaks of respiratory viruses that mask users in the community where people might not have proper training uh, can actually be worse if they're not using the mask properly because it involves lots of touching of faces and potentially spreading germs around. Uh, And then since then, there's been a lot of work done to really decide whether is a useful public health strategy to to wear a mask. And I think now we have this recommendation that you should have a mask with a minimum of three layers, different mixes of tightly woven fabric that will prevent particles going through. Mm. More layers, the better. And, you know, a homemade mask or a fabric mask won't be comparable to something that um, people are going to be using on the front line. because they won't be subjected to the same safety controls. But it has now been shown that it can drastically reduce viral particles being shared. And there was a large meta-analysis that found that 
when you combine social distancing with masks, it really can help to reduce viral spreads. Yeah. So, you know, as with everything with science, it's always changing. So we have to be flexible to new ideas. And I think we have to conform to the most up-to-date messaging around masks and just get yourself educated in how to use it correctly because incorrect use might actually increase the spread um, hand hygiene before and after, aim for one long use rather than taking the same mask on and off. Um, and as soon as it's soiled and you're taking it off, um, dispose of it correctly and don't definitely don't share it with anyone else. Oh no, 100%. And it's actually quite difficult to, I mean, I think we have to get used to it. I gave birth wearing a mask and it wasn't ideal oh breathing yeah it, it was it's been a very interesting time and mm -hmm. I think we all need to get used to it because it is difficult to breathe wearing them and I know it's not comfortable yes. but a little you know nice keen kind of prod to everybody we know yeah. now as Jenna said it is going to help save perhaps other people um yeah, so just exactly we need to really do our bit now I think that's where, where we've got to I mean yeah if someone does become unwell, Jenna, what is the immune system going to be doing? What is it doing at that point in time to snap back into place so we can rely on it a little bit more and people are aware of how it works in that precise moment? Yeah, so if you have something like um, the coronavirus, uh, for an example, you're breathing that in and you're unaware that that's happening, the virus is going to attach itself to those delicate um, cells that line your airways and those cells have a really important job because they help you breathe uh, and so that's why they have this really delicate structure but luckily around them you're going to have lots of immune cells because we need to protect these organs like our lungs and our gut so there's always lots of immune cells at these um, barriers where our body meets the environment and there'll be some signs of damage and danger being um, relayed to the local immune cells in that environment and there'll also be these patterns on the virus that our immune cells have been um you know they have receptors that they can recognize that as being not part of our own body and part of something that's potentially going to do us harm so they sort of mm -hmm. raise the red flag and you know within minutes to hours there'll be the, the cascade of uh, inflammation which will happen um and this will be a series of different uh, inflammatory communication molecules that will be spread out to the, the body you'll get recruitment of loads of immune cells from the blood they'll start doing their job you know trying to uh, minimize the impact of that um, virus that's using your cells to replicate and grow and then produce more virus that can infect more of your cells and there's this kind of battle that starts and this is the the um, result of our innate immune system the very first line defense meanwhile you're going to be uh, activating the very specific arm of your immune system the adaptive immune system this takes around five to seven days so you're relying on that first line of defense which is very non-specific it's very feet first going in there just trying to you know stop the damage and then your antibody responses and your t cells that are very specific for this particular infection will be drawn in and they hopefully will allow you to overcome that within um, maybe 10 days or so you feel back to normal. 
Amazing, which is why inflammation, people always get scared of that word. And I know we've touched on that before, Jenna, a lot, but Mm -hmm. it's a very useful process when it comes to the immune system. And I think sleep is something, before I move on to questions from our listeners, could Mm -hmm. you just touch on why, which is hard, I know if you're a new parent like myself, but why sleep is very important. Oh, it's so important. I know firsthand how important, (laughs) because I got really sick when I wasn't sleeping um, very well because I just had a lot going on in my life and um, a cold turned into pneumonia. So I just have to, oh. it, it's, it was a turning point for me in prioritizing sleep. And now I'm like religious about my sleep. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's so, so important. So one of the major hormones that is produced when we're asleep, melatonin, this is um, uh, extremely um, supportive of our immune system. It's very important for getting rid of any unwanted inflammation, helping with that healing and repair uh, response. And we're also, you know, we're kind of solar powered creatures. So when we're awake during the day, it's our active time. This is when we're designed to go out and about and do our daily life. That's the time when you're most likely going to come in contact with an infection. So when we're asleep, there's several different genetic switches that happen that puts a kind of different setting on our immune system because we're not likely to come in contact with an infection when we're sleeping. Um, so that's the time when the immune system is going to put its energy into making fresh new cells, getting rid of the old immune cells that are not working so well, restoring um, any tissues that have been damaged, you know, that kind of kind of repair and um, supportive functions. And if we're not getting enough sleep, these processes cannot happen. And we know that even one night of poor sleep can make you substantially more vulnerable to infections. Mm. And also if you have poor sleep around the time of getting a vaccination, your ability to produce um, a useful response to that vaccine is quite dramatically impaired. So it's, it's something that we don't really prioritize, I think, in, in our modern busy lives. And many of us sometimes find reasons not to go to bed, even though we're tired, because we just want to watch one more um, series on Netflix, that kind of thing. But I think, you know, it, it should be something going into winter that we all were thinking about. Um, and, you know, I always think that's the reason around the Christmas party season, while mm. um, <laughs> so many of us get sick, because we're mm. not only much busier at work, but we're probably staying out later and uh, not getting such good sleep. Although whether that will happen this Christmas with social distancing, I don't know. Yeah. So have to. <laughs> oh, I don't think we know a lot of things at the moment. It's, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it did make me think when you said that, um, what's going to happen? But it, a question we've got links on quite nicely to that actually and that's Mm. from um andrew and he asked is it true that alcohol will weaken my immune system um or is a couple of glasses of wine a week fine yeah that's a great question i think again it comes down to the quantity and the frequency of alcohol that you're drinking we know that alcohol does several things that could potentially impair your immune response so um, it can damage the lining of the gut and we've already spoken about how important um, the gut environment is to our immune system and it can also be quite a uh, sleep impeder so we might feel like we crash out in a deep sleep after a few glasses of wine but most of the time that quality won't be as good as um, if we hadn't drunk alcohol 
And there is some evidence that uh, chronic drinking can affect the production of immune cells that are formed in the bone marrow. So, you know, having fresh new immune cells to replace the older ones. Um, and also it, it's going to consume more of you know, those micronutrients to remove the alcohol that could potentially detract from uh, supporting our immune system. And plus, mm. sometimes I think with a hangover, we're more likely to engage in poor, poor health behaviours and eat worse or eat too much, that kind of thing. So there's sort of multiple aspects of, of alcohol, but ultimately, I think it depends on how much you're having. And the odd glass of wine um, might even be beneficial if you enjoy it and it gives you those endorphins, which are also very good for regulating our immune function. Oh, 100%, 100%, Jenna, perfectly, perfectly explained there. And um, Pete has said, and we are actually interesting for this episode, normally I get a lot of female listeners with questions, but we had more men interested on the immunity oh. one than before, <laughs> which I actually found quite interesting. He has said, I have a balanced approach to life, but at times I wonder, should I be taking supplements to boost my immune system? We've kind of touched on that, I guess, but should I be taking them or are they not going to help? Yeah, I mean, I think um, we've talked about that quite a bit, uh, but I would say take your vitamin D supplement. Um, we need there so many aspects of your immune system need that. So it's so important for just the, the barriers of your body. So it, it keeps the lung barrier with a good integrity. Um, it helps that first line defense, the innate immune system. But it actually regulates your adaptive immune system, stops it overshooting. So actually the opposite of boosting it actually provides sort of regulation. And we've seen with COVID that having a very overactive immune system can be problematic. And this is often what leads people to be in intensive care. Um, there's a, an inverse relationship between vitamin D and respiratory tract infections. So yeah. um, having low vitamin D uh, may predispose you to be getting these more frequently and more severely. So it's really, really important to um, ensure that you've got a good level of vitamin D to reduce the risk. In terms of if you do get sick, I mean, there's maybe some evidence that vitamin C is useful because your requirement for vitamin C goes up quite dramatically when you're fighting that infection. But as you said earlier, it's quite easy to get from your diet um, but perhaps if you're not feeling very well and you have lost your appetite there's you know some meta-analysis that report that it can be helpful with preventing development of pneumonia um, particularly in people who might not be consuming so much fresh fruit and vegetables mm. and it might limit the duration and the severity of an infection such as like the common cold particularly people who are very stressed or do a lot of exercise. Mm. Um, but I don't think it's something that you need to supplement with all the time. No. And the only other thing is um, um, omega-3s, which yes. are super important for our immune system. So these live in the membranes of our immune cells and they pull them out the membrane and use them to make resolving um, molecules, which help with the end of an immune response to get the tissue back to normal, to help with all that repair and resolution. Um, and we're recommended to have at least two portions of oily fish a mm -hmm. week. Um, but many of us 
either choose not to eat fish or don't eat enough. So taking an omega-3 supplement could also be something to consider. The last question I need to take before we move on to the fact or fiction round, Jenna, is from Cara. And this is something I want to know. She said, (laughs) does my mental health, because it's not been good recently, does my emotional state negatively impact my immune system? Well, there's definitely a two-way street between your brain and your immune system. So they're both sensing systems and they have to work together because your brain is sensing your environment. It might see, you know, potential risks, potential things that it might need to call on your immune system to be ready for. So there's definitely a two-way street. We do know from certain studies that people who are more optimistic um, tend to deal better with infections, have a little bit more of a robust immune system, but there could be other behaviours that optimists are doing. I don't really classify myself as an optimist. I think I'm one of those people that I want to be an optimist, but I really have to work at it. And turns out there are things you can do to improve your level of optimism. On the other side of it, your immune system produces various different molecules like inflammatory cytokines, uh, which have been shown to act on the brain and adapt your behavior. So you might feel more down, socially withdrawn, like you don't want to do anything. And this is considered an adaptation to make you adapt your behavior to do things that will make you feel well again. And I think if we have an unruly inflammation, like a low grade inflammation, it could be linked to certain mental health conditions. And this is a big area of research at the moment. So particularly people who suffer from depression that is resistant to standard uh, treatments, they're now investigating sort of um, anti-inflammatory lifestyle adaptations and also anti-inflammatory drugs to try and um, affect the depression symptoms so there's definitely this kind of link I think it's very complicated to say if you're feeling down is this you know going to make you more likely to get sick but it's complicated because you might go around doing behaviors that won't help your overall health as well because you're not feeling particularly good at this point so I think we need to yeah tap into any support networks you have and um just be kind to yourself because it's been one hell of a year really oh exactly exactly i couldn't agree more thank you so much jenna for taking those questions um no problem. we now have a fact or fiction round for you if oh, you are ready <laughs> i have no idea what's coming <laughs> no don't worry that's the whole point and we don't expect you to always have the straight answer we know there's a lot of nuance but here we mm-hmm. go so cold weather can make you sick fact or fiction uh fiction there's more germs maybe around in cold but (laughs) being cold does not necessarily mean that you will get sick (laughs) straight away there we go hand washing doesn't kill viruses Uh, if you do it properly then it should so that would be fiction yeah (laughs) garlic can help boost your immune system well i take exception at the word boost but there has been many studies that shown that properties of garlic may be helpful for the immune system whether just eating lots of garlic is going to have a significant effect or not is uh, doubtful but i'd say if you enjoy it add it to your foods it's part of that diversity yummy um allergies mm-hmm. don't mean you have a weak immune system 
not necessarily just means that something has gone a bit awry and it's reacting against something it shouldn't, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you can't, you know, protect yourself from other uh, infections or challenges. And antibiotics will help you strengthen your immunity. Uh, probably that would be a fiction because antibiotics m- may damage your gut microbiota, which could then impair your immune system. Very but good. They might also be very necessary. <laughs> well, of course, exactly. Um, the health of our immune system is different for us all from birth. Well, yes, there's there, we will all have a sort of genetic um, differences. We're all kind of immunologically unique um, and that's sort of by design. So, yeah, it's all then going to be shaped by Amazing. how we live our life. There we go. Nature nurture debate. Um, exercise <laughs> can help support your immunity. Oh, definitely. Yes. Make sure you get your daily movement in. <laughs> Flu is contagious. Yes, it can easily spread it around. <laughs> Your immune system will only ever weaken with time. Unfortunately, yes, it does weaken with time, but your immunological age is not the same as your chronological age. So um, I think two of the biggest factors to stave off an aging immune system are exercise and sleep. So if if those are things you struggle with, today's the day to start. Jenna, that was brilliant. Such an informative fact of fiction. Thank you. And I'm sad because that does nearly wrap up the episode. And we leave all the time of every episode with a food for thought. And I'll kick off today, I think, by saying, obviously, and of course, this podcast is going to be around for a very, very long time, but we're recording this in the midst of a global pandemic and COVID-19 and the year 2020 it's just been one of those years where we've seen such a surge in interest in health, but also such a surge in pseudoscience and people not getting the right information or not being educated, being confused, not knowing who to trust, losing faith in various different professions. But we've also noticed in my nutrition clinic that there's such a sizable shift from clients moving their focus from aesthetics and weight loss to wanting to be healthy, which and focusing on their gut health and their immunity, which I guess is a positive. So there's always a positive, is what I'm trying to say, and a silver lining in situations. And it can be hard to tap into that. But I'm hoping that from this episode and Jenna's help today, that everybody listening can kind of grasp something maybe they didn't know before or something they can actively do and realize that we have quite a bit of power. We're in charge of our bodies and the nutrients we put in, at least we know we're ticking off a box from that angle if we're able to. And please remember your hygiene. Jenna, if you want to leave our listeners with a food for thought today, what would that be? Well, I think, um, yeah, I'd echo what you have said and just, you know, remember that, you know, our health is complex and there's so many different inputs that go into supporting uh, our health. We have to be in the driving seat and, you know, don't underestimate our own intuition and you know figure out what's your Achilles heel you might be nailing it with the diet you might be you know um, in a position where you feel well supported and you're happy and you do a lot of exercise and uh, you feel good but you're really suffering with stress or poor sleep or you know something like that so focus on those sort of weak spots for you as an individual and you know 
there's never going to be a quick fix with such a complicated system. So it's about the little things that we do most of the time that then are going to help us weather the storms when, when we do have those challenging times. Oh, Jenna, that was lovely. Thank you <laughs> so much. Oh, um, and Jenna, people need to know where they can find out more about you and any books perhaps they can purchase. Oh, yes. I mean, I'm most active on Instagram. So that's... Um, but just my name, which is always awkward to spell, but it's dr underscore Jenna underscore Machoki, spelled M-A-C-C-I-O-C-H-I. Um, and then my book came out earlier this year. So I wrote Yay. it before the pandemic, but it came out in peak pandemic in March. Mm. Um, and it's called Immunity, the Science of Staying Well. It's kind of all my... Um, musings on the immune system and dispelling some myths lots of tips and different things you can do so if people want to find out more then um, that's a good place to go yeah thank you so much jenna thank you for coming on food for thought oh thank you for having me <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode you'll absolutely love what's coming next week so make sure that you click subscribe to be the first to hear it If you have time to, we'd really appreciate it if you want to leave a review so that we can reach those higher highs in the charts and hopefully help more people. That is our mission here with this podcast. For more information about my Retrition Clinic, the books, healthy recipes and so much more, please visit Retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and YouTube. 